The Lord calls us to worship from the book of Psalms, chapter 66. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. O bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of His praise to be heard. Amen. we thank you that we may gather here together today as your people in your house, that we acknowledge and admit before you that you are the only God and there is no other. You are the one who created the heavens and the earth. You created us for your glory. And Lord, we pray as we gather today, would you be pleased to pour out your spirit upon your people, that as we sing praises with one another, as we see one another, as we read your word, as we meditate in our hearts and our minds, that you would fill us with your spirit to behold beautiful things out of your word. Lord, we pray that you would comfort us, that you would be with us, that you would remind us of the riches that we have in Christ, and may you do all of this for your glory. And Lord, we join our hearts together with one another as we pray now the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to be reciting together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the hymnal. I'm going to begin by asking you, since this is a profession of our faith, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under 
Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended into heaven. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Psalms, chapter 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Amen. As we continue to worship, please take your hymnal and turn to number 207. As we sing together, good Christian men rejoice. Children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. Good morning. Does anybody know what season it is? Winter. Winter, February. I wondered if somebody would say baseball season. (laughs) Almost, guys, almost. It's, uh, it's still winter, but very soon it's going to be spring. And guess what happens to the trees in springtime? 
They grow leaves. They they get flowers. They get flowers. They bloom. They bloom. And so does anybody know, can you tell me, what color is the bloom of a peach tree? Pink. Pink. What about a Bradford pear? Anybody? White. White? White. Yep. Bradford pear is white. Now, it's interesting, you guys said that and you were confident, your voices were strong, but I wondered if, if somebody said, well, no, I don't think so. When you see a pink bloom, it's maybe it's something else. Well, in the Bible, Jesus said something about being able to tell things about how they look. Do you remember? Jesus said that when he talked to his disciples, he told them, men will know you by what? By your blooms? By your leaves? Men will know you by your fruit. They'll know you by your fruit. So when you see something coming onto an apple tree and it's green and it looks tasty or maybe it's red, what do you think in your mind? This is a wonderful looking apple. Apple. Now why did you say apple? Why didn't you say pear or plum? Because it's an apple tree, right? Apple trees have apples, plum trees have plums. Jesus said, all men will know that you love me, that you'll know them by their fruit. That's significant and important. It means that the way that you live, the way that you love other people, or the way that you don't sometimes, expresses your love for Jesus and your closeness with Him. The way that you live, your conduct, how you, how you speak, the way that you play with others, maybe sometimes even how you fight with others, right? Maybe. Anybody? One honest soul? <laughs> yes. But you know what? You know, sometimes it's easy to hear things like this in the Bible and think, well, you know, I don't know. I, I feel kind of guilty. I don't know that the fruit that's coming out of my life is really uh, what would be pleasing to the Lord. You know, there's another passage in the Bible in John chapter 15 that says something very important about the fruit in our lives. Guess who it is that produces it? Is it you and me? No. No. In John chapter 15, Jesus made a promise to his disciples and to you and to me. He says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. And you will bear much fruit. So it's because of him and his work in you. So this should be an encouragement to you, children. Because as the Holy Spirit is producing the fruit of the Spirit, can anybody name a fruit of the Spirit? Anybody? Love. Love, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, kindness, goodness, goodness. wonderful, like a fruit basket. (laughs) It's wonderful. I thought maybe they would sing it, Kelly. But the Bible says that it is God's Spirit that produces His fruit in us. It should be encouraging to you, you know? Because if you think about those things being present in you and coming out of you, you can say, what a wonderful privilege it is. This isn't something of me. This is God's doing in my life. I belong to Him. I truly am a child of His. And He shows me this by how I act and how I think and how I treat others. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank You for the privilege that it is to know You. The privilege that it is to call on you as our Heavenly Father and to be called sons and daughters of yours. Lord, I pray for our covenant children here today. What a wonderful blessing they are in this church, a reminder of your your care and your, your protection over our families. 
And Lord, I pray for them, for each of them, that though they may look in the mirror and say, I don't look a lot like what Jesus sounds like, and I don't know that I really do produce the fruit. Lord, help them to know from a young age that producing the fruit is not their responsibility, it's yours. I pray, Lord, that they would submit their hearts and their wills and their words to you, that everything they do and say would bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You're a chipper group today. (laughs) Our responsive reading this morning is in our hymnal on page 829. Page 829. We're going to begin reading. Uh, We will not do all of Psalm 119 today, but we're going to begin reading Psalm 119, verses 1 through 24. I'll begin uh, with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. They do nothing wrong. They walk in His ways. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying Your decrees. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Do good to your servant, and I will live. I will obey your word. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. You rebuke the arrogant, who are cursed and who stray from your commands. The rulers sit together and slander me. Your servant will meditate on your decrees. Amen. Let's stand together as we continue to worship and turn in your hymnal to number 537 and sing together, Take Time to Be Holy.
may be seated. This morning for our pastoral prayer time, we want to pray for Andrew Shepherd, specifically for some health concern that he's had in the recent weeks. And what a privilege it is to get to pray for one another this morning also. I want to lift up in our prayers also the men in our church. As we look to God's Word in just a few moments, the sermon this morning is entitled Christian Men from Titus chapter 2. So as we pray, we'll pray for Andrew and also lift up our families in the church and specifically our men. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a joy and a privilege it is to be in your presence with one another. That we are called the the friends of God. We are called the family of God. And we confess and admit that this is because of the work of Jesus alone and not because of us. Not because of anything beautiful in us or anything good or righteous that we could do that could earn a hearing from you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the gift that prayer is. That you tell us it is a place to commune with you. A place to acknowledge and to center our hearts on the truth that you are the living God and there is no other. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for the privilege of being able to offer up to you our concerns and our petitions and to give thanksgiving to you for being the God who hears us. And so now this morning, we pray, Lord, for Andrew. Lord, I pray for his health, that you would give his body strength, that he could recover and do the work that he needs to do, Lord. I pray that you would bless his ministry among the teens that he's working with. And I pray, Lord, that you would also bless his teammates. Not only the young people, but also those that he is serving with. That he would be an encouragement and a light among those who are there to give and to pour out. And Lord, as we pray for his physical health, it's important, Lord, that we also lift up to you his spiritual health. That he would continue to be growing in grace. That he would be feeding upon Jesus in your word. And Lord, we pray that you would fill him with your spirit to do the work that you've given him to do. And today, Lord, as we've gathered as your people, as we prepare our hearts in just a few moments to hear your word, Lord, I pray specifically and lift up the men in our church family, those who are here today and those who are not here for whatever reason. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we look at your word as a mirror. It shows us who we are and who we are not. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts. I pray for men in our church family that they would lead that they would be men of God who are controlled by the Spirit of God and not by the passions of the flesh. Lord, I pray that they would function as spiritual heads in their home by your design. And Lord, I pray for our leadership in our church family here, that as men lead in their homes as they serve you under your headship, that they would come here and lead God's people. Lord, we pray that you would do all of this for the sake of the glory of your name. And Lord, I also pray for those in our midst to have significant and long-standing health concerns for them or for their family members and loved ones. And Lord, we cry out to you. We cry out to you for mercy and for care, for energy and strength, health issues, physical issues. They wear us down. Our bodies can't withstand apart from your grace. And so, Lord, we cry out to you acknowledging it and admitting it. We pray that you would look upon your servants and have mercy. And we pray, Lord, that you would give relief. We pray for doctors who will care for us. We pray for nursing staff and other 
attendants who will come and take care of us, Lord. There are many in our midst who who need to know that you are with them. And we pray today that by your spirit, you would comfort your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Bibles to the New Testament book of Titus chapter 2. Today we're going to be reading selections from Titus chapter 2 verses 1 and 2, 6 through 8, and then the end of verse 10. This morning the sermon is entitled Christian Men. This is the word of the Lord. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine that the older men may be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, 
in love, in patience. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. And then at the end of verse 10, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. In this letter, Paul says that a Christian is not one only in name. It's not something you call yourself or something that others call you. And as we saw last week, being a Christian is not even something that you profess about yourself. A Christian is one who is one by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And the undeniable evidence of saving faith is growth in godliness and devotion to good works. These are the Lord Jesus' tests given to us as we've been studying in the book of Titus chapter 1 and today beginning in chapter 2. Paul is clear about this, not only in Titus, but throughout the New Testament, that growing in godliness and doing good works are the result of God's grace. They are not the basis of it. I do what I do because the grace of God is in me, not because I hope He will give it to me if I try hard enough or do enough or give enough or act like Him enough. It's helpful to remember as we think about this beginning of chapter 2 that Titus is a young minister left there in Crete by Paul on purpose to attend to certain matters in the young churches on the island of Crete. There are many people Many of them new to the faith, some of them young people, some of them older people, but they are definitely new to the faith. And so Paul is intentionally setting down the essentials of godly character and conduct for all of God's people. He begins here in chapter 2 by talking to men. Today we're focusing on the older men and the younger men. Next week we'll look at what it means to be a Christian woman and to serve God faithfully in the church and in her home. These are important matters. They're weighty matters. They're significant, especially in the day that we live in. One of the things that I find extremely encouraging about this part of the book of Titus is that he doesn't take for granted that people know how to conduct themselves like Christians as men and women. There are many people who would have been able to say to Paul if he came to visit them again, you know, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And he says, this is why I wrote this letter. There are many of you here who might identify with those who lived in Crete and say, well, I didn't have a Christian dad. I don't know what it is to see a godly man lead and to lead well, to love my mom or to love me and my siblings. Or I don't know what it means to be ushered into what it means to be a true godly man. And yet there are some of you who would say, I don't know a day when I didn't know what it meant to live in a Christian home. I don't recall a day not believing in Jesus. And so this is the beauty of God's family. He has placed us together. He's given us His Word. If you didn't grow up in a Christian home, if you didn't know what it was like to have a godly man leading, if your dad did not know the Lord, then this commends to you Christian godly character. And if you did grow up in a Christian home where a dad loved you and loved your mom and served you and your siblings, then praise the Lord and be reminded of what it means to be a godly man. And may the Christian men here at Lebanon aspire to this. 
This message is in no way, in any way, meant to be guilt or speaking down to anyone. That wouldn't be any benefit at all to the Christians here who are seeking to serve the Lord and love Him. It's meant to be an encouragement to you to hold up the Lord Jesus Christ and His standards in His work. May you be encouraged in your hearts as you seek Him. This morning I want to talk about this passage of Scripture under two headings. The first is male headship. The second is godly Christian character of men. And then lastly, we'll look at just briefly for the glory of God. So number one, male headship. It's a biblical pattern for leadership in the home and in the church. It's both places, not just one or the other. But where does this come from? Where do we find it in the Bible? Is it something that Paul pulled out of the thin air? Was it because of issues in Crete that Paul speaks about this? No, actually it's not. If you go back to your Bibles in the book of Genesis chapter 1, you see that God created them male and female in His image. Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27. It says male and female He made them in the image of God. And it's important to remember that this is before the fall. This is not because of sin. Sin didn't create the distinctive roles of manhood and womanhood. Who did? God Himself. He made us this way. He's the one who chose to set the order of not only the family, but the church. It's His design. It's not a matter of one being lesser and one being greater. It's a matter of the image of God and His order. And it's His work, not mine. Before sin ever entered the world, God ordained and fitted Adam to be a loving, caring, strong leader for his wife, Eve. And before sin entered the world, God ordained and fitted Eve to be a partner who supports and honors the leadership that God has ordained and to help him carry it through with all of her gifts and skills, both made in the image of God, both equal in their God-like personhood, both also different in their roles of manhood and womanhood. So I want to ask and define what is male headship? This isn't meant to be chauvinistic at all. It's meant to say what it is and maybe some about what it's not. Headship defined is this. This is a definition. Maybe you could write one that's better, but here's one. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take the primary responsibility in the home for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision. I'll read it again. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take the primary responsibility in the home for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision. This is God's design. It's for His own glory. And by His grace, it's for our good also. Men, we're to lead in our homes. That's a complete statement. We're to lead in our homes spiritually, in love, in service, in care, in protection and provision. And it's to be characterized by Christ-like service. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's a standard none of us could attain to, men. Nobody can say, well, you know what I did this week? I finally got to the top of that ladder. I made it. I now love my wife as Christ loves the church. All of us have another step to go. All of us have sins to repent of. All of us have areas where we need to step into leadership and not step back. And I want to encourage you men, though you may look back and see times of failure where you fell short, 
Do not allow that to be what defined what you, what you do going forward. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be in each of you men. Lead with courage. Lead with love. Lead with service. As Christ loved you and gave Himself for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 24. Galatians 2.20 He loves you and He gave Himself for you. That you would love and serve in your home. Luke chapter 22, verse 26, Jesus said, Let he who would be the greatest among you be as one who serves. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8, and chapter 3, verse 10, God gave authority to those who were leaders in the church to men. He gave headship in the church to men, not for tearing down or destroying, but for building up. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3. Peter was also speaking to those who were leaders in the church and he says, Do not domineer over those in your charge, but be an example to the flock. And I wonder if Peter had in mind when he wrote those words of the vision that he had of Jesus after they had dinner. He took off his robe, he took a towel about his hand and he went and washed the disciples' feet. Jesus showed what it meant to serve He showed what it meant to be servant-like so that His people would know how to serve one another. And maybe just a brief word, I can't be long about it, but there are probably many people in the room, or at least some, who have experienced what it is to be under what many might call terrible headship and horrible examples of love and faithfulness. People who weren't good fathers, who were abusive, and people who have sadly done the same thing in the church. But don't let that be what defines your view of biblical manhood and womanhood. And may the Lord heal you where you hurt. May He comfort you where you feel estranged from Him. And may He guide you in His ways. So that's male headship. Number one, it's a serious matter. Number two, godly character of Christian men. And Paul makes a point And I think it's important and significant that he says to Titus, you be sure that you're teaching what accords with sound doctrine. As opposed to the false teachers who were stirring up things and taking people down rabbit trails they didn't need to go. He says, you be sure that you teach what accords with sound doctrine. But in my translation, in the New King James, it actually says you speak. So not just that when you're preaching, not just when you're giving a lecture to a group of people, maybe in a Sunday school class, Titus, But you make sure that any time you're speaking, it's not your opinion, it accords with sound doctrine. That you've been given the privilege to speak and you better be speaking the words of God. And if you can't support these claims that you're making to people, then it would be better to be silent. Than for anyone to think that this is what God thinks just because you said it. So he gives several things that are qualities of Christian character of older men in the church. And you might say, well, why would... Why would Paul be taking time to do this? Again, I think it's helpful to remember this was a young group of churches, young congregations in terms of believers. Even though there may have been those who were older men, they didn't grow up knowing what it was like to follow the Lord Jesus, to go to worship. They didn't know what it was like to be raised in a Christian home. So Titus is being told, be sure that you take care to show them what it is to be a godly older man. And I have to say that I kind of scratched my head a little bit as I read some about this, about who this is in the church. Who are the older men? One commentary said it's those who are 40 and older. And I thought, my, my. 
getting much closer. But then I also read another that said, it. well, no, it's actually maybe those 50 and older. Those who you would consider those people that later, later on as they grew and mature in their faith, that these would be the people that the people of God would be looking to to lead. Because they had these qualities in them. They would be looking to them to be the elders in the church who would love God's people and shepherd them well and govern well. And by God's grace, when it was necessary, they would do discipline out of love. So he gives these qualities, three qualities. He says that they are to be sober, to be reverent, and to be temperate. To be sober means to be free from intoxication. It does refer to drunken behavior. But this verse has been misused at times to say, well, then anyone who's a believer, they can't ever. If they're a serious Christian man, no serious Christian man would ever drink alcohol. But that's not what the scripture says here. It's saying that an older man should have lived long enough to know and to have learned the lesson that overindulgence is never worth the cost that comes along with it. Beyond this, it means being sober means that you're sober about all of life. That you appreciate the value of things. That you have a sense of true proportion in life. In all of life. This kind of man who is sober. Who thinks about things with an even head. Won't neglect his family. For the sake of a job promotion. Or his duty to care for them or provide for them. He won't set it aside for a time. And this quality would protect him also from giving himself over to a sense of greed. That the only thing that matters in life is making money and having more than the next person. Or at least more than the person who knows about me. But he also says they're not only to be sober, they're also to be reverent. It means that they're to be dignified. It's it's somewhat of a worthiness of respect. Not just an air that you see about them, but in the way they conduct themselves. They have a grave sense of life. They doesn't mean that they lack a sense of humor, that they always have to be serious. They always have to have a straight face. But there's a weightiness to their lives that comes from long fellowship with God. They know who they are. They know who He is. It's the kind of person you look up to. Someone you respect. Someone you would aspire to be like. Do you know that older men in the church? That us younger men are looking to you to see what it means to be a faithful older man to know what it means to follow God even in difficult years, to to learn what it is to get out of difficult circumstances. I don't just mean financial or relational troubles, but I'm not excluding those. I mean we're looking to you to see that faith works, that it exists, that it continues later in life. We're looking to you to see that. We need to know that the fire that God put in us, He doesn't put out. And that though there are hits and bumps in the road, Throughout life, as we, as we get older, we need to see that God is still faithful. We need to know that His promises are true. And one of the ways He does that in the church is by blessing us with you. And praise the Lord for the gray heads in our church family, men and women. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful. And I hope, I hope you are too. He also says there to be temperate. And this word has been used and reused in in the book of Titus so far. He he gave it as a qualification for being an elder in God's church. He says they're to be self-controlled. They're to be sensible and discreet. Not so much that they are resisting impulses, though that's included. But they're exercising good judgment in every area of life. They're not too quickly given over to anything, whether it be anger or excitement or happiness. 
They're not giving in to what you would call the pleasures of this life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, as it's said in another scripture. And it's not just speaking about sexual purity either, but it does include that. It's saying that this kind of godly man has lived long enough with God to know that God is the one who satisfies the desires of my heart and there's nothing that anyone could set in front of me or anything that I could set in front of my own eyes that will please my heart and satisfy my soul. It is the Lord Jesus alone. And then he gives us, imagine Paul is painting with a brush. He gives us a portrait of what it means to be sound. And he gives us a little triplet here in these verses. He says that they're to to be sound in faith, in love, and in patience. This is a, a portrait of what an older man would look like, what older men should be aspiring to in the church. They're to be sound in faith. What does that mean to be sound in faith? Well, it certainly means to believe correctly. Sound in the Bible means healthy. So you have a healthy faith. You've learned that the sound doctrines from the Scriptures. You know your Bible. You understand who God is, who man is, what sin is, and how much it has gotten into people. And you understand salvation. You've grown to discern truth from lies. And you can detect unbiblical ideas no matter how good they may sound or how pretty they may appear. You know what it is that will stunt the growth of a true man of God and you keep away from it. A man who is sound in his faith is is clear. He is absolutely rock solid and he will not move on this point that salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. He does not move from it. No matter what wind blows in the culture, no matter what might be said in the church, or somebody might say something that sounds religious but isn't true, and from his experience he knows the value of trusting God who is faithful. This is both an objective truth, he knows it to be true, but it's also an experiential truth. He has seen it time-tested in his life. And he can go to younger men and say, I know what it is to walk with the Lord and I'm not boasting. I'm saying that He's walked with me. And I'm telling you, He is faithful. He is good. Walk with God. Do not walk away. He also says in this portrait that He's sound in love. That His heart. This is not just an emotional thing. It includes that, but it's it's more than that. That his heart has grown fixed to his family, to his church, and he has a deep longing for God. And these loves are accompanied in his heart by a sincere and a ruthless desire to be rid of sin and evil. First he looks to his own heart and then sees it in others and wants to help them. And I think this is where many people believe about cranky old men that all they do is see things out in the world they want to criticize and look down upon. And it would be easy to give in to a critical spirit. After all, if you've lived 50 years and seen the same thing again and again, one decade after the other, and the only thing that's different, it's not the song, it's the faces. It's not that there are more evil people now than there were before, it's just that the changing of the guard has happened. And what if we exchanged... What if we give enough? It's just a different face. Humility and living love keep him from becoming this kind of cranky, cynical, critical old man, as somebody might call him, who always seems to be looking for and finding fault in others 
Rather, because of this kind of love and sympathy, he has true sympathy for the struggles of youth. He doesn't look at the young people in the church and say, well, I can't wait until they're gone. But he tolerates honest mistakes. He knows they're going to make them. Is there space in your heart, older men, for the younger men to make mistakes? Or does it crumble you if they do? Does it crumble them in your eyes if they do? Let us make mistakes and correct us in love. Show us the right way to go. Don't leave us there. They're charitable towards others who have different views than they do in the church. This is what a godly older man is. And lastly, in Paul's portrait, as he brushes on the canvas, he says that they are sound in patience. This word means steadfastness and endurance. This is God-given grace to fight the gnawing desire to spend that last season of life on oneself. To turn inward, to say, well, I finally made it, I retired, I don't have to go to that place anymore. I can check out on life too. And most especially, I don't have to deal with the drama of people in church. He doesn't turn inward. It's a tactic of the enemy that would tell us to narrow our field of vision and crush a spirit in us of hopeful expectation that waiting on the Lord is right and good. An older man also has this kind of love in him, this endurance, because he has a hopeful expectation to see that God is at work and to see what He's doing, not only in himself, but in his family. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, this is Paul's ideal for older men. As he had it himself, as he thought about him coming to the end of his life, he said these words, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I kept the faith. It's possible, younger men, to do that. It's possible, Paul says. In Joshua chapter 14, verse 11, I read this a couple weeks ago at men's Bible study. Caleb said at the end of his life, I am still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going out and coming in. This is when he was in his 80s he said this. I'm as strong today as I was when I was 40. I haven't lost any strength. The Lord sent me out and I went and I came back and now I'm ready to go home. But I'm as strong today as I was then. We beat those enemies back, he said. And I would go do it again if the Lord sent me. This, men, is what a real man is. Real strength and substance. This is the kind of man who would go to the younger men in the church and say, with humility, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Come along with me. You might say, well, I don't know that I really agree with you, Pastor. You've spent 20 minutes already talking about what it means to be a man. And everything in the culture says that we don't even know what a man is. I don't know that I really believe you. This is the Word of God. It's not me. I'm not harping about something that's my hobby horse. This is the, the Scriptures. This is God's Word. So he looks at the older men. And then he looks to the younger men. And you would think it would be the opposite. If you were giving instructions as... Paul, to the younger men, you'd probably have a longer list, right? But you get to the younger men and he doesn't have a list. He has one thing. He says, you exhort the younger men to be sober-minded. Again, he comes back to this idea of self-control. It's not simply or only impulse control. And it's certainly not just behavior modification so that he doesn't embarrass himself or others or maybe embarrass his parents. 
But he's telling him, have a godly understanding of all the practical matters of life. This is what you need to encourage the young men with. They need to have godly discernment and a godly understanding. Learn the value at a young age. And I say this with encouragement in my heart as I think about it for myself, but I think about this for our young men in the church too. And I do mean our younger men, our teenagers, or almost teenagers. Learn the value at a young age of what Proverbs chapter 4, 23 says. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Recognize young men and older men alike that there is a battle in your mind. The flesh fighting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And you need, you absolutely need to develop the skills of discernment. To watch over and take seriously now the path of your feet. Prioritize. If you're thinking, what should I do with my life? One of the first questions that you can answer, one of the first answers to that question is, prioritize knowing and doing the will of the Lord. What would the Lord have me do? I don't have to answer questions about what career I'm going to do right now, but I know that I need to follow Him. And I know that it's important that I find out what the will of the Lord is and walk with Him. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That is a declarative statement. He's telling you a fact. Then He says something about the way that people walk after Him. And a promise. He who follows Me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. If you follow Jesus, there will be beauty in your life. You won't trip over the same things that other people do. You won't fall for the same things that other people fall for. Again, He's telling these young people in the church, right belief informs right behavior. You won't be a Christian simply because you're on the church rolls. You won't know Jesus just because you made a profession of faith or a pastor poured water over your head when you were a baby. You are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ because grace has gripped your heart. And Jesus has put faith where there once was stone cold enemy of His. That's the truth. That's the truth. You need to know that, young men. That needs to be rock solid in your mind. So all of these things, Paul finishes by saying that they're for a reason. Point number three, they're for the glory of God. In chapter 2, verse 10, he said, Adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Why is it important and significant to be Christian men, old or young? Why is it significant that anybody stand up for the truth of the Bible? Because I think today... We are starving for it. In many quarters of the world, we are starving to see what it means to be a true man. We're wondering what our identity is. What it means not just to do the things that people expect you not to do, but to know what you stand for. What is it that you stand for? I heard a song growing up, and I thought about not quoting it because it's a country song, but I think it makes the point. You've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. What is it that you're willing to fight for? Fight for love of family and of church. Fight for love of the Lord Jesus Christ holding up the truth. We're to do this in our homes and we're to do it in the church. But we're also to do it before a world that is starved of what true male leadership is. There are plenty of examples of how not to do it. But the Bible says look to Jesus who did it for us. I'm not here telling you you need to work out the fruit of the Spirit in you. It's why I talked with the children this morning about the fruit of the Spirit being produced by the Spirit in us. You can't do this on your own. You can't make this happen. 
But who knows, but by the way that you live and conduct your family before others, that someone else might seriously consider their own spiritual condition before God. Who knows if he might use you and your family and the way that you lead to cause them to say, maybe Jesus is who he says he is. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You never know the seeds that you plant, how they will grow. But God always produces a harvest. He will accomplish all that He desires through His Word. Be encouraged, men. God's Spirit is in you. And He has filled you for the task that He's put before you. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word that encourages us. That also is a mirror to us. It shows us the ways that we aren't living up to the standard of holy, righteous living. Lord, I pray that You would help each of us in this room to take seriously what it is that we've read and heard today. That we would think about this in the presence of the living God. That You are the one who will hold us to account. And Lord, I pray that You would be raising up, even in this room and in our homes, young men who love You, who will stand for the truth and who will love your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond together to God's Word, singing hymn number 570 as we stand, Faith of Our Fathers.
as we take an offering to the glory of God. thank you for all of your many blessings and the rich gifts that you have poured out on us. And we offer to you now joyfully our tithes and our offerings that you would use them for the spread of the gospel for the sake of the glory of your name. And Lord, we do pray that you would continue to meet our needs. We look to you. We trust you. We know that you are our good heavenly father. In Jesus name. Amen. Receive the benediction of our Lord from the book of Numbers, chapter 6. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put My name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Amen. Thank you.